Welcome to MLD Wealth, Money Matters, a podcast dedicated to sharing insights on the market and economy. Hosted by Chad Larson, top-ranking portfolio manager at CG Wealth Management and founder of MLD Wealth Management. In this podcast, Chad shares concise, clear and authentic views on the market, helping gain greater clarity on the current state of the investment landscape facing investors. Hi guys, it's Chad Larson with MLD Wealth. This is MLD Money Manners, and it's the year in review, 2023, and our 2024 outlook. Uh, it's January 2nd, and here we go again. It, it's an interesting thing. You know, I've been doing this 20 years, um, and you know, September always feels like the new year because the kids go back to school. Uh, January feels like the new year. It's the, what have you done for me lately? What happened last year and where are we going? And so we, we mark, you know, certain dates within a single candle of calendar year or month to determine, you know, what value is provided and where do we go? Albeit when I look back, you know, academically as an economist, we understand that markets are cyclical, um, economic cycles are long, Earning cycles are quarterly and, you know, day-to-day things like geopolitics um, and even the weather can, can change things. Um, but, you know, it's important that we set the table uh, a couple times a year and say, you know, what happened? Were we right? Um, what were the surprises? What were the mistakes? And, and what were the um, surprises to the upside as well? And more importantly, how are we positioned going forward and what is our views with so much information that's available to us on a day-to-day basis whereby you know at best a lot of our for the formation of our opinion bases are made by headlines so let's talk about last year um you know i want to reflect on 2023 a little bit if i i reread and and re-listened to my january outlook last year and you know the, the thematic was or the tagline was you know we expect the front half of the year to be be very choppy and we expect into the back half of 2023 the markets to start to discount the eventual recovery we see in 2024 uh, i said this in last month's podcast um you know this this has happened um it was very choppy and into the back half of the year but boy oh boy um the back half of the year you know is in september and september october was you know was terrible i was really thinking oh i got the year entirely wrong uh markets had remained very challenging so it wasn't just the front half of the year it was the bulk of 2023 uh and then november and december happened and we saw an incredible rally which you know really made the year um you know really solidifying and and giving merit and weight to you know the some of the age-old principles of, of staying invested during periods of volatility um we really benefited from from our process and our strategy into the back half of the year um you know call it on the self-promotional highlight side once again mld uh during the year of 2023 was named a five-star advisory team in Canada. And I was personally, once again, named one of the top 50 advisors in Canada by Wealth Professionals. So we continue to do a lot of things right. Um, you know, I've talked a little bit about the November, December surprise and you know, everyone gives things names. We, you know, this, the, the, the big four, the Magnificent Seven, Santa Claus rallies, like colloquialisms and, and taglines are something that, you know, at least allow us to attach uh, market events and, and try to create some, some mean or some regression around it to, to make sense of it all. 
but just listen, two months ago, uh, we made this call. The stage was set for a rally, given the extreme oversold conditions, um, the history of year-end rallies, especially in pre-election years. Uh, we had a lot of sour investment sentiment and a lot of catalysts that could reverse the spike in higher interest rates. I'm going to spend a lot of time talking about interest rates again. Um, but, you know, as of that late October low, the markets were making new bear market lows. Uh, the equal weighted S&P, and I've talked about at length the equal weighted S&P versus the S&P index in itself. Now, albeit we're domiciled in Canada and we're largely Canadian investors uh, for, for the majority of it, the, the S&P 500 in the U.S. market makes up over 50% of economic activity in the world. And so it's something that we have to bellwether and key off of. Uh, but while that equal weighted S&P was testing, uh, you know, October 2022 lows, um, we talked about a very narrow uh, market return. Eight of the 11 S&P 500 sectors were down for the year. Um, you know, that, that would have been two times in history where the S&P would have been negative uh, two years in a row. Now we had this magnificent seven effect where a handful of companies with very narrow um, exposure across all sectors, you drag the entire index, uh, you know, up much higher. Um, so, here we go, November, December, we've seen some improved breadth. Um, and, you know, it was it was process that got us through it. It's hard to do the hard thing, uh, but process is important. And we ended the year in line with our expectations during a very challenging economic cycle. Um, the narrow breadth of the market, um, uh, yeah, as I discussed, was, was really hodled by the Magnificent Seven, skewing a lot of perceptions. Um, you know, who would have thought, you know, going back even to 2022, um, you know, 2022, you know, the best thing an investor could have owned was cash. Uh, 2023, surprisingly, and I'm not going to give this a lot of airtime, you know, the best performing asset uh, class in itself was cryptocurrency. So we go from one side of it, cash was the only thing that worked, to the best performing thing last year was, was Bitcoin. Um, but listen, here we are today. It's January 2nd. Um, where does the market sit today? Uh, listen, the S&P is, is overbought. Um, volatility is absolutely poised to bounce in the front part of the year. Uh, we've got some economic data coming out as early as Friday that will really set some tones. You know, so we had this huge surge that really surprised everybody through November and December. Investor sentiment is giddy. Um, you know, surveys of, of managers across and investors across the board, um, it's at you know near all-time highs. So, and all that is has been on less bad news. So the, the, the Fed has pivoted and become more dovish. Um, they have said that the hiking cycle is over. Uh, people have been talking into the back half of the year that it was higher for longer and get ready for high interest rates for much, much longer. And that's what kind of really delayed things. Um, but you know that's changed and all of a sudden the markets has surged off of that. So remember markets surging off of just less bad news. Um, you know, is one thing, but you know, where, where's the sustainability in that? So we've seen rate cut expectations pulled very forward and discounted heavily. The market is now um, forecasted and discounted the Fed to cut rates seven times this year down to about three and a half. Um, the 10-year U.S. Treasury bond yield is extremely oversold. Um, so this surge in breadth of the market, and that's something we're seeing more companies doing better, not just these big seven companies, NVIDIA, Facebook, Tesla, et cetera. So that suggests not betting against the upside in the intermediate term, while the extent of gains and, and the tactical setup, you know, suggests don't chase them in the near term. So 
You know, if you're long, you're long. Uh, I wouldn't bet against it. Betting against it means going short. I would not short the U.S. market, um, but we're also also tripping over ourselves. We, you know, we're not trying to be overly um, blindly optimistic. So in short, we don't need to figure out where the rest of the year is right now. We just need to see how the market responds to the current setup. Um, so, you know, listen, looking ahead into 2024, uh, the financial landscape, uh, as always, it creates both opportunities and presents challenges. Our focus remains on navigating these with a strategic approach. Uh, we observe trends in the S&P and the global markets that continue to suggest caution optimism. It looks like we're now going to avoid a full recession into the U.S. Our earnings yields and the U.S. 10-year spread, for instance, have shown some interesting dynamics that we're closely monitoring. While, yes, there's the possibility the S&P might be slightly overvalued, historical patterns also indicate opportunities for positive returns. We believe in sticking with our process, albeit improvements and adjustments to align with current market conditions. So, that's call it a lot of pre-disclaimer and a lot of yeah, mantra around overall topics. But, you know, I'm, I'm sitting here saying, you know, what are the areas we're closely watching? Um, things that are, you know, occupying a lot of space and time and headlines in my mind and our teams is, uh, you know, interest rates, you know, do we see this? Does the, the Fed come through and become more dovish? They've signaled they are, um, but farm payroll, non-payroll data could come out this Friday and, 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 cool that. Uh, real estate, uh, both cross-border, uh, what's going to happen in Canadian housing uh, versus that of kind of U.S. housing. I've, I've said this, you know, many times over. Uh, the U.S. consumer is in far better shape than the Canadian consumer, yet we've seen headlines already start to, you know, make realtors happy again, expecting that house prices take off to the top right again. Um, at its core, you know, our immigration policy in Canada with you know, net and here wide open borders will continue to put upwards pressure on single family homes across the board. Um, luxury markets we've already seen starting to, you know, outside of call it our core demographic have really started to correct. Um, technology versus equal weight. I will tell you it will, it is highly unlikely again, highly unlikely is we're, we're waiting probabilities. What are the odds or what weighting would we give to any certain outcome? Because at the end of the day, you know, up or down is just merely a 50-50. Um, when we're looking where things are going to perform well or perform poorly, um, we have to assign a probability to them. If we have high degree of confidence, there's an 80% chance that something go, you know, goes up, we're going to weight that accordingly. So at all times, I, I do believe it won't, not, this time being different, we don't expect that the Magnificent Seven to perform like they did last year, you know, upwards of, you know, NVIDIA and stocks like that being up over 200% in one year, it's not going to be those same seven stocks. So looking for more value across the chain, um, looking for, uh, you know, deep value where just natural fund flows. Just remember money market funds were the largest recipient of fund flows last year. As those buckets start to turn, as we start to see rates come down, that money, that risk-free rate of return will start to look for a different rate of return and come back into the equity markets. Um, things that we have to be cognizant is global conflict. Um, you know, we would at least thank God I don't have to talk about COVID anymore. Um, 
but we saw Russia, Ukraine, uh, we've seen uh, Israel and, and toiled in, in, in conflict uh, and tragedy. And potentially this year, we have a China-Taiwan situation. So this deglobalization is real. Um, you have a multipolar world and, uh, you know, keen um, political regimes globally um, that look to uh, take power where they can. Um, and we have a U.S. election year coming up. So that's going to be you know, very telling. You know, we played it incredibly well um, two economic cycles ago. We'll see what happens this year. Uh, one of the things we thought going into last year was largely that both parties would probably have two new faces to them going into this election. It does not look like the case. It looks like it is going to be 100% Biden versus Trump one more time. Um and, you know, here we go in into that circus. So listen, in terms of strategy for 2024, we do see value in large cap stocks. Uh, we continue to see positive tailwinds and, and a boon for private credit. Um, I'm going to talk a little bit about gold. Uh, I'm going to talk a little bit about copper. Uh, energy is a thematic and, you know, energy is more than oil and gas, but and we'll touch on that. Healthcare uh, and, uh, and AI and the optionality that we see as a potential for a risk on market where capital markets could open the floodgate with a ton of pent up demand for IPOs, which have been at historical lows over the last two years. So, you know, let's talk about gold. Listen, there was, you know, in a, there was a portfolio manager. I can't remember who it is. And maybe uh, it definitely wasn't Warren Buffett, but there was a phrase saying, uh, there's only two people I buy gold for, um, you know, my wife and my girlfriend. Now that's incredibly uncouth, but for a long time, I can never really wrap my head around, you know, what it is. Is it a store of value? Is there industrial use? Now, listen, aside from very expensive speaker tips and, and some conductivity things, largely gold is, has a, is a safe haven, a store of value. And the digitization of tokenization of cryptocurrencies and blockchain technologies have taken some of that luster away way. But the idea of fiat currencies only being backed by central banks and uncertainties in the world, um, gold's not going anywhere. Uh, we're seeing gold prices well over $2,000 $2, an ounce, um, but equity prices have not uh, adjusted. Kind of reminds me when we had you know $30 oil, um, there's value in these large cap dividend producing clean balance sheet gold names. Uh, and I think the market is going to look at, look at value. Uh, you know, a recent statistic I saw gold miners as a whole, you know, EV to EBITDA trade around nine times, whereas the S and P's, you know, significant, you know, significantly higher. So gold, gold, large cap gold stocks are about two thirds of expensive. Um, Dividend yield on gold, large cap gold stocks is 35% higher. Uh, net debt to EBITDA is fractions to that of the overall market. These things have very good balance sheets. And total debt to total assets, um, gold stocks are incredibly less levered. And so we've seen the, we're starting to see, I have kind of turned up the exposure to large cap uh, gold across portfolios. I made a big call on copper last year, not a big call by, you know, going all in, but, you know, a thematic, you know, we're early uh, for sure. In fact, during the year, I turned down the exposure. Uh, I'm not ready to turn it up, but it is an, an overweight across kind of our thematics of what we see playing out. I I, I can talk to a few things in, in and around kind of the, the gold schematic of what we see, but 
the decarbonization, the increase of EVs, and copper being uh, a GDP growth driver. Um, so there's only, I think, like the world is only slowed down. Uh, there's slowed down as much as it can, and we are staring into a reacceleration cycle uh, through the other side of the last two years. Um, copper mines across the world. Uh, are only in more geographically sensitive areas, whether it be ESG concerns, whether it be geopolitical concerns, grades are lower. There's a long lead time into bringing on new copper production. And not even you know year over year, but month over month, the, the data and that we have and with the tightness of supply, you know, if China housing turns back on um, and kind of the one to three to five year picture for the need for more copper, uh, albeit yes, 25% of the copper we use in the world is recycled, is not used, is just repurposed. There could be a scenario, I believe over the next, I don't know if it's in the next year um, or the next three, uh, but we will see a massive uh, bull market in copper. Just remember, no one rings the bell and tells you when it starts. And it's just important that we have positioning and some of the strategies that we've employed in and around the large cap copper producers while we wait using covered call strategies, enhancing the income, getting paid for while we wait is going to be important because the thematics for and listen, copper is just more population, uh, more uh, economicization, more people moving out of the third world and into the second world or in off of farms into metro centers just requires more and more and more and more copper. And there's just less of it available in a high grade scenario. So that remains energy as a whole. Listen, oil didn't do great last year. Oil was off year over year nine percent as a commodity, um, but you know the, the stocks remained a little bit more resilient because the balance sheets and the nature in which they're throwing off free cash flow. You know, short term, there's skepticism for sure. Um, but if we're avoiding this uh, recession that we're calling into the U.S. and the economic engine continues to fire, we're still seeing the latent effects of lack of investment. Um, into basins through the last cycle that will create, you know, additional tight supply. And, and there's still a lot of value and a lot of free cash flow being thrown off of this. So we remain, you know, very comfortable with exposures there. Um, the We've always had a, a meaningful exposure to infrastructure um, that's likely going to increase. I just don't know exactly, you know, when we pull the trigger again, we're talking above is, you know, don't bet against something. Uh, we're there, we're positioned. Um, while we see uh, reductions of interest rates, you know, these businesses largely, whether they be pipelines, um, toll roads, airports, etc., these businesses perform very well. I've beaten the drum on private credit significantly. We have ample uh, exposure there, and we expect as you know, banks continue to huddle their balance sheets, syndicates remaining smaller, and unconventional lending um, will remain at the forefront and has a lot of tailwinds through this neck of market cycle to produce uh, above-average risk-adjusted returns. Um, AI is going to be a thematic that um, you know we're going to be talking about over the next decade. I think into you know the God, I don't know where I'm at within my career. I've done this for 20 years. I'm still generally a young man, but I think this will be a thematic that we talk on. And someone always said, we talked about this at a kind of advisor breakaway, something we call advisor council to management. And we, we get together and, and we throw up 
ideas or how are how new technologies and new developments, whether they be regulatory, whether it be compliance, whether they be technology of how they shape, you know, what I do for a living and how I provide services to you as our, as our private clients. I don't think, you know, we, people thought that E-Trade was going to get rid of advice. It never did. Uh, in fact, you know, we're seeing higher growth um, in the, in the private, re- private wealth channel than we've ever have. Um, advice is what we pay for. Um, you know, executing and, and being able to transact in the marketplace is easy, but advice is, is inherently priceless. With respect to AI, no, it is unlikely that I am replaced by uh, AI, but I will tell you, I will be replaced by someone else who's not, if I don't use AI, we're employing AI now across different processes of our business, whether it's, you know, helping in content creation, helping in process management, helping to improve efficiencies of, you know, the internal plumbings of how we sort and organize our data, et cetera, AI. So yes, chat GTP, chat GPT is there. Um, it's not the one and only thing. Yes, the th- companies like NVIDIA have done very well because, you know, every, everything seemingly needs a bazillion more chips and, and processing speed. But the integration of AI into other businesses to create enhanced efficiencies, enhanced productivity and enhanced profits will continue to be a driving thematic uh, across all industries. And people that use it more and better will win. Um, healthcare, longevity, weight loss. It's going to be a very interesting thematic this year and on going forward. Um, you know, I guess 2023 was the year of Ozempics. I mean, everyone got skinny. Um, forecasting data. I, I read something, so don't, don't quote me on the exact. I think they said some, some upwards of 10 million Americans, you know, used some of the semi-glutides and products that are being brought to the market, you know, largely were off label, but now are getting more and more medical um, uptake across the community, helping with an obesity crisis that we have uh, in North America and, and globally. Um, so they expect, I think it was something like 10 million Americans last year, and they expect that number to swell though, you know, upwards uh, over the next market cycle to a hundred million Americans being using some form of semi-glutides and um medical compounds uh, to um, combat obesity that will fall down into the earnings of these companies. Uh, We saw it with Pfizer and Moderna through the COVID phenomenon. Um, So we're watching closely the, the idea of healthcare, the idea of longevity. Uh, People do want to live forever, you know, staring into the mirror and accepting our mortality is one of the biggest challenges I've ever seen, you know, people go through. I've had the gift and the curse sometimes of, of living 300 lifetimes of, of private clients that are very close to us on a day by day basis. So we deal with some of the, the horrible things uh, that are natural occurrences life. We deal with death, disasters and divorces. Um, and it's just things that we work through, but staring through into kind of later chapters of our lives, um, people do uh, and will spend money uh, on the pursuit of living higher quality of lives and living longer. Uh, and so that will, uh, and that dovetails also into fertility. Um, we're seeing a lot of, uh, lot of interesting things happen there. And the other one I wanted to talk about is products and services, you know, for go back, not even a market cycle, but you know, 
call it pre the market meltdown, everything was SaaS, software as a service. No one really knew what it meant, but it was, you know, no one had to make a product, but people were going to buy it on a monthly basis or a yearly subscription. And that would create this phenomenal recurring revenue with very little capital exposure where we could then discount it, you know, into the future with low interest rates and become tech billionaires overnight. I look at the idea of products with services and we look at some of the competitive moats and some of the really amazing companies that have been created. You know, I don't talk about Apple and Amazon for a second, you know, Apple makes phones. Okay. Or they make AirPods and I mean, laptops and et cetera. Those are products. And yes, they drive an incredible amount of revenue um, and profitability for these, but why they're excellent. They were able to create unique products and listen, everyone has cell phones. Uh, you know, there's many kinds. And yes, some, I know some millennial will call in and say, Google has more market share, like for sure. But what I want to talk about is that, that brilliant marriage between a product and a recurring service. And that I think has been something that will continue to dominate. You know, look at the Fitbit, look at the Aura Ring, look at all of these other products that are paired with a service that go along with them. And largely they're technology driven, they're AI driven, they're in and around advice, whether they be on health tracking, whether they be on um, even look at the reordering of food, Amazon in itself, look at Instacart, you order your groceries, the click, the click and takeaway. People want to get their products, but they want to get the service along with them. And I think that's going to create a, a divergence. There'll be clear winners and clear losers. Just selling a product isn't enough. Um, because it'll be someone else that pairs the service with it, whether it be the deler- delivery, the maintenance, the, the warranty, et cetera. Um, I've talked about a lot. I was going to try to keep this somewhat, not so much light. Um, I wanted to keep it as informative um, and insightful. This is going to be uh, you know, off the back of these last two years. I'm very, very excited about 2024. I think we've got a little bit of a short-term volatility pop but we're going to we are going into a uh, increasing money supply uh, scenario we are going to see lower interest rates anytime you see the increase in money supply it is paired with a constructive equity market so um you know, we've, we've grinded through the last little bit here in the last couple of you bumpy years um this is not what the only thing we've been waiting for but it's only getting easier from here. Um, as always, our priority is to ensure your financial well-being and, and peace of mind. Uh, I'm looking forward to a prosperous 2024 filled with opportunities for growth, uh, both monetarily and in knowledge. Um, and so here's to a year of, of wealth and maintaining a balanced, healthy lifestyle. I want to thank all of you for your continued trust in MLD Wealth and wishing everybody a fantastic year ahead. As always, feel free to reach out to myself or any member of my team. Uh, We're here from you. Uh, We're here for you. Um, And all the best to you and your families. The comments expressed in this podcast are the results of work done by MLD Wealth Management. They may differ from the opinion of Canaccord Genuity Corp and should not be considered as representative of Canaccord Genuity Corp beliefs, opinions, or recommendations. All views expressed in this podcast are provided for informational purposes only and do not constitute an offer or solicitation to buy or sell any securities. The statements expressed herein are not intended to provide tax, legal, or financial advice and under no circumstances should be construed as solicitation to act as a securities broker or dealer in any jurisdiction. 
All views are intended for general circulation only and do not have any regard to the specific investment objectives, financial situation, or general needs of any particular person, organization, or institution. Please do not hesitate to contact us should you want to know more about the information contained in this video or have any related questions. Canaccord Genuity Wealth Management in Canada is a division of Canaccord Genuity Corp. member, Canadian Investor Protection Fund, and the Investment Industry Regulatory Organization of Canada.